Hey, hey, everybody! It's the Lanky Guys. You're come. You're list. This is the word on the hill. I'm Father Peter Buzzard, and I am Scott Powell. We are the Lanky. I already said that. Yeah, dude, you normally flip it around. I'm kind of impressed this which, morning. I, that's what threw me off. Which, you, what do I usually you say? You normally like try to correct me, be like, this is the word on the hill, and we are the Lanky Guys. I just want them both to be said. That's all. We're confusing because we kind of have two names. I know. It's very weird. Dude, you know what it is? It's like listening, reading a Tolkien novel. You're like, and so his name was Eru, but the elven folk called <laughs> him Eluvata. Or just a Russian novel where everybody has the surnames. <laughs> Dude, so somebody, who is I talking to that they have like a profound um, knowledge? They were like, oh yeah, this person's coming and they have a profound knowledge of Dostoevsky. Who is it? Coming to school? Oh no! I'm gonna do marriage prep for somebody who has who has a profound knowledge who of Dostoevsky. I want to I want to know them. Is that you know John and Sherry Meyer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I grew up with their son. I've known him since kindergarten. Is he? Does he know Dostoevsky well? I don't think it's. Like he's been married. He's married and has kids. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is this is gonna be somebody else. This wow. is gonna be someone. Uh, I can't remember the relationship. Oh yeah, the Meyers. They're great. They really are. So they're they're like awesome. I mean, that's John like used to be Boulder. the Boulder County coroner. Yeah. When I was growing up. I know, like I'd never really. I had a. I'd lunch with him and asked him all about coronation, and Did it, you? Was, it was. I don't think that's what it's called. <laughs> you obviously didn't get very much from the conversation. <laughs> coronation. <laughs> that's the worst. Is it, does it the coroner do coronation? Uh, Autopsyizing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> coronation. That's the worst. Come what on. a weird. What a weird. What a what a grim beginning of the podcast. <laughs> very morose well, today. Well, today we're gonna be. Uh, first readings is gonna be from Joshua. Wait, hold. On for Pete's sake, you always get ahead of ourselves. Yourself. <laughs> we are in the twenty-first oh. Sunday of Ordinary Time. It's just important to 21 note. One on the we're in the twenty-first Sunday of Ordinary on uh, on August twenty-third. This is exciting for us here in Boulder because this is the mass this Sunday. We're doing our big annual open air mass in the middle of the campus of the University of Colorado. On Farron Field. On Farron Field. And Father Peter, I think, is a little bit nervous because he's got to preach in the middle of the campus at CU. And it echoes off of the um, like Cheyenne, Arapaho, and Farron, the, the Farron dorm. Like, so, it like echoes. It's like, Papa, like, like, repent, repent, repent. So if you are love listening you, to this you. prior to Sunday, you should come by CU. And come to our big mass on yeah, campus. It's totally. Cool. It's really fun. It's, it's really cool. It's really it's one of the coolest things I think. No other ministry does this. It's really cool. And we chalk like nobody else on campus for we this. We chalk like nobody's business. You are covered in chalk right now. I am covered in chalk. We make our own chalk. Really, chalk is just gypsum. <laughs> All it is really, is plaster really, of Paris. Chalk is just gypsum. So you can so you get some PVC pipes and mm-hmm. you just uh, like get some zip ties and some tinfoil. I think somebody last year suggested we do like a Pinterest page on this. Oh, I we have some pictures of stuff. So good. We we have a photo stream that we are sharing. We're going to Instagram it all. Excellent. So it is the twenty first Sunday of Ordinary Time. Um, you are about to tell us the first reading, Father Peter. Yeshua, mm. chapter twenty four, verses one to two a, verses fifteen to seventeen, Ooh. and eighteen b. Oh, very good. That's a lot of jumping around, but that's all right. It, it's yeah. I'll tell. We'll talk about it when we get there. Oh, you've studied. I studied. You? I see. Uh, our responsorial psalm is the same responsorial psalm we have had for the previous three weeks. <laughs> we are not going anywhere. <laughs> psalm 34. And see. And see. Um, psalm 34. Vers- oh, my gosh. I was going to try to sing while you were doing it over. Oh, so okay. That it was sorry, like sorry, I'm ready. Psalm 34, verses 2 through 3, 16 through 17, 18 through 19, and 21 
through 22. Our verse, our responsorial itself is verse 9. A. A. You know, that means that it's a, it's a Canadian response. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the video of that guy who's running for parliament in Canada? Oh, His campaign ad is like him flying on a goose and like slaying a dragon and fighting <laughs> aliens. It's the best campaign promo I've ever seen in my life. Have you seen this? I did. I oh saw that. You guys were on the couch and I was like, oh I was goodness. like, what kind of ghetto is this? And oh, then you were like, this is a political ad. Yes, and I was it's like, the best. I was like, that's really gorgeous. It's something else. But it also speaks to how far everything is boiled down oh, in culture. Yeah. Just slaying dragons oh, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But it is effective viral stuff. My name is Wyatt stuff. Scott and I'm running for parliament. It's great. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> okay, we're going to we're going to jump over to uh, option we there's two options for our readings today, but we're going to go we with even the need option to point A. It out. We always go with option A. Ephesians, if there's an option, we always go with A. Ephesians 5 21 a? to 32. A. The Canadian. Thing. Option did we go with the Canadian option? We go with the Canadian option every time. A. A. <laughs> okay, sorry. Ephesians what? <laughs> you weren't listening to me. Five yeah. twenty-one to thirty-two. That was for their benefit. I can oh. see it right in front of me on my computerized screen. Oh. Um, yeah, three thirty-two. Very good. <laughs> um, that's that. Our our gospel. We sure reading. did jump in that one. We have a lot of jumping around this week. Yeah. Our gospel reading is my turn. Okay. Our gospel reading. Oh, there's a lot of sixes. Yeah, no six six oh, six. Oh that's what I was gonna point oh, out. Oh me, oh my. Our gospel is from John chapter six, verse sixty through sixty-nine. Six, six, six. Bum, bum, bum. In case you're ever wondering, some some of our listeners are like, "There's a, there's three sixes in our reading today," and what uh, the the reality is is that uh, the numbering system in the scriptures are totally arbitrary. So you mean the verses, like numbering of the verses and chapters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. It, like somebody just was well, like some poor monk had to just figure it out. Yeah, there's there's like a whole history to it, and like. But the reality is, is that it was never part of anything. But the reason why this one goes on so long is because it's a full discourse. It's a pericope. I love a good pericope. <laughs> the, the moral of the story is all of sacred scripture is inspired by God. The verse divisions are not. That's the bottom line. So good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. And um, Tip your waiters. Tristes and waiters. <laughs> All right, back to Joshua. What is going on you, today? Who who it are a you, weird man? Day. Who are you? What do you mean, me? Me? You're just as weird. I, as I'm I am not today. weird. My gosh, why do people listen to this? I don't know, you guys. Why are really you listening to us me. right now? Do but, you know that there is a group in Fort Collins that does a Bible study based on this podcast? Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, really, the Bible study based on the readings, <laughs> but they use this podcast as their material. Well, no, it's actually pretty good. I mean, you, th- you think about it. Like, I would do the same thing. Would you? I would. No, you would talk about it. <laughs> no, you oh, would. did you just, no, did you I just did try not. to hurt me? Oh, no, do I didn't. Do you really want to hurt me? I would. You would do it. Do you really want to make me cry? We got, we got, um, we got forbidden from singing Canticle of the Sun ever again, by the way. From who? Mary. Um, oh, Mary Hartman. Yeah. You know what, Mary Hartman? I'm <laughs> just kidding, Mary. Dude, we dude, love you, dude. Okay, so Joshua. We've never met Mary Hartman, but I feel like we have a relationship with her. We have, we do. She lives we, someplace in Washington, I believe. Okay, so Joshua, check this out. Okay, the reason why we skip over the verses, we only we start off, and it says Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel. Did Shechem. you say Joshua? Joshua. Do you know what Shechem means, literally in Hebrew? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. What does it mean? <laughs> what does, it means shoulder. G- Joshua gathered all the tribes together at the shoulder. Yeah. 
It's because it's the, this pinnacle spot in between two mountains that we'll talk about in a second. Oh, sweet. More on that in a minute. Do not call me a moron. And so I oh, was, uh, so then one. the reason why we skip um, to 15, verse 15 is because it's a full recitation of salvation history. Yeah, which is important. It's, it's do you important. know the context of this passage? The, the uh, short context, I'll give more. No, no, but I knew, do know that whenever you um, are doing a recitation of the uh, of the salvation history, it's usually an indicator that a new covenant is coming. I don't think that's true in this case, though. Well, then fine. Have it your way. I mean, I do recitations of salvation history every year. <laughs> I'm not making <laughs> any new with anybody. <laughs> oh, sh- Come on, that was like my that was all I had really. No, that's not. That's all, all the studying. But that I don't I think had there is me. one. It, it, am I forgetting one? So there's there's Adam, there's Noah, there's Abraham, Abram, there's Moses, and then and, we don't get another one. And then there's Joshua. And then there's the covenant with Don't be a poo head. <laughs> okay. No, he's he is. Re- I, I mean, okay. I know. Give me the context. Well, there is an important thing. So you you can make the argument, I think, that every time you see uh, salvation history recounted in scripture. Something profound has either just happened or is about to happen, right? I think that that much is fair. Okay. So, wh- do you know what's about to happen here? Mm-mm. It's a really important um, theme for sacred scripture. So, Joshua is about to die. So, these are in a certain sense sort of his last words. So, they have, and one of the things to remember, whenever you see the like last words or deathbed words of someone important in scripture, yep. it means you need to stand up and pay attention because it's going to be really important and critical for whatever's about to come. Okay. Right? So it recounts where we've been and it points out to where we're going. So these are sort of, this is sort of Joshua's last speech before he goes off to die, similar to Moses's last speech, you know, um, in the book of Deuteronomy and um, uh, we get Paul's, you know, later on in the book of second Timothy. And, and so this is a big theme, David's last words, um, so what's kind of happening here, I lost my train of thought. Um, anyway, what's happening here, it's the end of his life. Israel has entered into the promised land. So remember, once Moses died, Moses never got to go to the promised land. Right. He sat on the edge and looked in. He, he, did, he actually did get to go well, to the promised land. <laughs> when does Moses go to the promised land? In the uh, transfiguration. In the transfiguration. He literally stands on the promised land, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, prior to that, in the Old Testament at least, he never actually goes into the promised land. He sees it, but he gives the reins to Joshua, who will lead a new generation who's different than the generation that uh, worshipped the golden calf. And Forty years I've endured that generation. Years. Right. So a new generation, really only two of them. It's just Joshua and Caleb, I believe. Right. Because were the, because they were, they were the ones who said that we can go into the land. They said the Lord will fight. Well, I mean, so what happened was everybody, God's, they sent 12 spies to go and check out the land and see if this was something that they could really do. Ten of the 12 tribes came back and like, there's no way. These people are too powerful. They're too strong. Their armies are too big. Their they're cities like are six too, feet tall. They're six feet. Is that what it is? No. I'm I, six feet tall. I know. I'm joking. I just My first driver's license said I was three foot 37 inches. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, it really did. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I slid that through. Dude, I was so proud of myself. Dude, I'm really th- like that. Back in the day when we used to prank using everything. our driver's licenses. Oh yeah, everything. No, like, <laughs> dude, I like I see some of our students and I'm like, these guys. Are, you have no idea. You have no idea. We How are cool. You could be. Yeah, like you can make this happen, man. I remember when I went into the DMV and I had a gigantic Afro platform shoes and a full '70s outfit. That was the the context in which I met you. Because you were passing around your driver's license to everyone at this dinner at that pizza place in Greeley. Absolutely. Roma's. Yeah. Absolutely. When you don't remember meeting me. <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. Anyway. Um, 
So, what were we saying? We were talking about uh, Joshua. The, oh, yeah, yeah. The, so, Joshua, the Caleb, they, they went in, yeah. the 10 tribes. Uh, Joshua and Caleb comes back, come back, and they say, everything these guys said is absolutely true. They are way too powerful for us. Their cities are way too strong, too right. fortified, too everything. Mm-hmm. But the only difference is God told us that this was our land. Therefore, we need to go take it. Because it doesn't matter what our strength is. It doesn't matter if they're too powerful because right. God promised this. So they're allowed to go into the promised land because not because they you know, saw themselves as so great or they were such great leaders or whatever. They trusted in God. Right. And they led the people. They tried to lead the people to trust in God. So anyway, long story short, they come into the land. They begin to settle it. And by the way, gosh, there's so much I would love to talk about here. I have a whole theory on warfare in the Bible. And if you think about this, so one of the, the, the beefs people have with the Old Testament is that, especially here, so remember the Israelites went into the promised land that God promised them. That's why we call it that. And they have to wipe out all these, all these nations and cities and kill all these people. And you're like, why, why have we got to make them do that? That's weird. But if you go back to the beginning when they were originally supposed to be given the land and they sent in the 12 spies and they said, no, we can't do it. We actually hear later on when... Um, when they're staying in the home of, uh, what was her name, Rahab the prostitute? Do you remember this? Yes. And she says, look, everybody here heard, has heard about you guys. They heard about what your God did in Egypt. Right. We're terrified of you, this tiny little nobody people on our borders. So I am utterly convinced that had Israel gone into the promised land when God asked them to, fresh from Egypt, with all of the plagues and all of the, 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 the renown that went behind them and right. in front of them, they wouldn't have had to fight a single battle. I believe that. I, that's but, really beautiful. But actually. they wait 40 years. And if there's people oh. inside watching a threat on their borders for 40 years, you're going to build up your military, you're going to prepare to fight, and you're going to get ready for war. So the only reason I think that they had to fight all these battles is because they didn't trust God when he asked them to do something, trusting that he would just take care of it. That's wow. my theory on that. Because it is, a lot of people have a really hard time. They're like, well, why, what's with all the battles? Because it's plan B. And God still works through plan B, always. But it's plan B. Right. So they go into the land, and the whole story of them going into the land, it's a terrible story, really. It's basically about some of the tribes who are faithful, and they go and they fight for the land that God promised them, and others of the tribes who just kind of roll over. And they're like, well, we'll make some compromises, and you can keep your altars and your temples in here, and we'll kind of do this. And then one tribe, Dan, at the end, who just gets totally overrun by the Canaanites who are in there. So basically the story of the conquering, quote-unquote, of the promised land is a pretty lousy story. Some of the Israelites are faithful to God and they do what they're asked. Others are just either rolled over or they compromise or they allow all these pagan things going on. It's just sort of a mess, right? right. So they settle the land, sort of. And they, you know, they, they claim it for God, sort of. And then eventually they get to the end of the story. And you get to the end of Joshua's life as they're sort of becoming established now. And so Joshua gathers together everybody at this place called Shechem, which is the exact same story that you actually got back in chapter 8. So when they first came into the land and began to conquer it, all the tribes gathered at Shechem, which is this spot in between these two mountains named Ebal and Gerizim. Okay. Ebal's world. Ebal's world. Ebal. Ebal. Oh, dude. (laughs) I drive by that whenever I go to see my parents. Oh. And it it went away. And I still, that's like one of my best movie ideas (laughs) that I've had with you. I was going to be the star. You were still the star. No, I wasn't. You were going to have... No, you're still you're gonna start. At least Wagner's husband Scott be the star. No, I yeah, you were. You're mean. Anyway, forget that. 
E-bomb's world is another genre. Okay, another yeah, show, yeah, yeah. E-bomb, Gerasim. E-ball and Gerasim. E-ball. But this is kind of cool. I was looking this up. This I was frantically looking this up right before the podcast. It's funny. Um, Joshua had half of the tribes stand on Mount Ebal. Half of the tribes should stand on Mount Gerizim and yell the blessings and curses of the law of Deuteronomy back and forth to each other. And what's kind of <laughs> cool about this, and this is basically what they do again here at the end. But what's cool, Ebal, Mount Ebal was, if you, you can Google pictures of this, it's, it's, um, it's brown and barren and there's no life and it's just sort of, it's deserty, right? Gerizim, for some reason, because of the way that the winds come in off the Mediterranean, just kind of how the jet stream works, it's lush and it has foliage and trees and flowers and plants and stuff. So the the oh reading, yeah, look at that. I know. So the reading of all the curses are read from Mount Ebal, which represents death and desertion and all these things. The reading from the blessings are all read on Mount Gerizim that represents life and teeming fullness and lushness and all this stuff, which is, I love when the Bible does this. It has this this visceral imagery, you know, and, and God's creation is teaching us these things. Yeah. So they gather back together and basically here at the end in his, in his closing speech, he recalls salvation history, like you said. And then he calls them just to remember what they've already done. Like, basically, look, guys, you promised that you would do this. You promised that you would be faithful to God. And he says, um, if it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods that your fathers served? Are you going to serve the gods of the Canaanites here in this land? Or are you going to serve the one true God? Decide today. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And the irony is he says this in the midst, if you've been reading the rest of Joshua, you know how utterly and completely they've kind of failed at this. And they've allowed other gods and they've allowed all this worship. They've fallen to worshiping other gods. They've done all these terrible things. They've been self-serving. They've, you know, they've done all these lousy things. And the tongue-in-cheek response is the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, for it was the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed all these miracles. Of course we're going to serve the Lord. But the, the, the punchline is that they haven't been. They're, they're saying the opposite of what they've been doing, which is partially why Joshua re- needs to recount the story of salvation history. Because he knows, look, you guys have clearly forgotten what God has done. And really, the bulk of the places you see salvation history recounted in the Bible mm-hmm. are when the people have clearly forgotten who God is and what he has done for us. Right. And that's precisely what's happened here. And they're saying these words that they haven't been following and they're not going to follow in the future. And Joshua's about to die and he's trying. It's his last ditch effort to get the people to turn their hearts back to the Lord. <sighs> Which I think has lots of ramifications for the for the next uh, next readings. Yeah, it has lots of ramifications too for just what our mission is here at well, CU. indeed, indeed. I mean, it's just like... Uh, there, <laughs> here are people who have come and have come from all over, and in a certain sense, that's what we're doing. Is we're we're doing a recitation of the covenant. That's what we do at every mass. Yeah. I mean, when we say the the doxology, you know, and when we give our amens to all of these different things, we're we're saying that's yes, it. I believe. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. Yeah. And and that there's yeah. we we recite we recite the blessings, but like. It's also like, like for us, I mean, this is a first ditch effort, not a last ditch effort, but it's like, it's it's, a middle ditch, but we cry out and say like, this is the reality is like, who will you serve today? Yeah. Who will you serve today? Make a decision today. Will I serve the Lord or will I not? If if not, go on, 
be free. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's not real freedom. Yeah, absolutely. But and a lot, but a lot of what we're doing in a certain sense. I mean, not to read too much into this, but a lot of whom we tend to capture and kind of want are are those students who are Catholic, and we want then to evangelize the whole campus. But we, in those first days, especially, we want to get those kids who are like, "You're Catholic. Here is your home. You know, yes. this is what this is where you, you you belong. You where you can live this out." Because those are the people that have actually made those statements, or someone right. made them for them at baptism. I do believe this. Yes. Amen. 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 Right. So now we're kind of saying, "Look, you got to choose yep. today who you're going to serve. You can serve all of the gods that a lot of people around here want to serve. A lot of us, you know." Um, or you can choose, choose the one true God, but it's it's not the first. Well, I, I'm kind of reading too far into it, but it's people who have already made that decision. That's why it's so applicable to the Joshua reading. Well, I mean, they made that statement, so now we're calling them to re, we're we're trying to recall that for them. Well, and that's what the that's what the object of the new evangelization is. Well, yeah, absolutely. the fully initiated. And the idea is if the people who Gosh, if a fraction of the people who've actually been baptized and confirmed actually lived out what we believe or say we believe, we would transform the world overnight. I have no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind either. And we would we would change everything. But anyway, we need to be called to that. So that takes us, interestingly, I think, into the psalm. Yeah. Which, again, is the same psalm we've had for the last three weeks. The taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Um, oh, and the, the, my 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 response is taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Blesses is the stalwart one who takes refuge in Him. What's the response from from USCCB? Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, I, I have New American Bible up, but it's uh, but that's weird. Okay, that is thoroughly weird. Okay, so I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be in my mouth. I, my soul shall glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. This is the opposite story of what we've read in Joshua. They've done precisely. They're not blessing the Lord at all times. They're blessing him sometimes right. and then kind of making compromises at all the other times. They're, his praise is, is almost never in their mouths because they're always kind of trying to be palpable to the, the culture around them and all, you know, all these different things. And the idea, and this is the whole thing, my, my whole theory, that if they'd have gone into the land when God asked them to, I don't think they would have fought any battles because I actually believe that God is strong enough and his grace is strong enough that all of the people in that land would have converted right. for understanding of who this God is. So the idea is the lowly should hear Israel and be glad. The people in Canaan are not hearing Israel and being glad. They're either grumbling or pushing them over or forcing them to do whatever they want them to do. You know what I mean? It's not. Totally. This is not what they're supposed to be. So this whole psalm is just a reiteration of what they're not doing and what we're actually all supposed to be tasting and seeing the goodness of the Lord is what Joshua is trying to get them to do in recounting salvation. Don't you realize you have tasted this? Look, we're in the promised land. You're not in slavery anymore. You're not trapped in Goshen building bricks anymore for Pharaoh. Don't you realize what you've actually already tasted? You don't see. So that's what he's trying desperately to do. Which is why I think the church in their wisdom keeps us, us with this song. Absolutely. So that we ourselves can actually have his praise in our mouths. Yes, absolutely. And taste how good that is. Indeed, indeed. Which leads us to Ephesians. Which really does lead us to Ephesians. Now, I, I have some different thoughts on this. This is, this is that passage that 
probably most priests just dread. I mean, I'm sure there's a few of you that are like, yeah, I'm going to stick it to everybody. <laughs> it's, but, but it's, well, well, cause well, the reason why is because we live in a, in a culture right now that is, uh, Ephesians five, you, that may spark something inside of you. It may not, but re- read this passage, pause the podcast, read the passage. Um, but this is the thing is because it's, to me. it's talking about, no, I'm talking to I've the listening it. audience is, um, it's dealing with gender identity. And, in part, yep. And uh, yep. now with a purpose, because because mm. right now, I mean, like, it's gender identity is one of the most difficult things that culturally we are going to have to actually enter into. Which is which for me is a it, it, like the reality is 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 gender is very straightforward. Gender is yep. not a, a psychological construct. Gender is is no. a physiological reality. Right, and so as when you transfer it, th- that's where and this it's also becomes... a psychological reality too. It's not just our bodies; all of us yes. are male and female in our whole beings. Yeah, and and so that's... when you make a sandwich, you make a sandwich as a male. Right, you know, there's not a male way to make a sandwich than a female, but because of who we are, even if we change surgically our biology, we are still male and female, and right. that's something that's very beautiful. Yeah, and and that and that's really why it, 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 this becomes so difficult is yeah. because culturally it's really not acceptable. Uh, it's really not politically correct to actually speak of gender as related to the physicality of a man and a woman. But it's partially because I, I mean, I don't want to be uh, navel gazy, but it's partially because we've done a bad job of articulating what male and female are from the beginning. You know, we've allowed the world to stereotype what that means, which it's so profound. I I can't wrap my head around what it means to be fully male. It's not because I can smoke cigars and build campfires and kill bears and crap. I mean, that's, yeah, sure, (laughs) and that's masculine. But everything that I do, if I'm arranging the furniture in my house, if I'm changing a diaper, I do it as a male. There's a maleness to it, and there's a beauty to that. And my my wife, if she's building, she can build a campfire better than I can. And she could probably kill a bear better than I can if it came down to it, right? <laughs> but she does it as a female because that's who she is. And that's just profoundly beautiful. And I feel like so much of where our culture is headed and giving into is is our culture giving into stereotypes that it would want to reject. Well, this is the we- this is the weird thing. It's kind of like um one of the one of the reasons for the legalization for um, same sex marriage is for the uh, legal benefits of divorce. Yeah. And a part of the reason why you get gender confusion is for the application of stereotypes actually. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's absolutely like, true. I want to act like a I want to act like a woman. I want to yeah. act like a man, so I'm going to no, actually change I, this. No. But it's I want to act like the stereotype of, of a, man a man or a woman. That's exactly that, that media tells me, which is something that in any other realm of my life I'd probably reject. Right. But I want to change my identity to reflect this stereotype, which is such a self-defeating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. have the best argument to the to the transgender community that look, those stereotypes don't define you. Right. If you're a woman and you feel like wearing combat boots and having short, you know, hair and and doing all of these things that are stereotypically whatever, then we will say yes, you're still a beautiful feminine person. Yes. That we're not going to buy the stereotypes. You know what I mean? That's yes. actually the best argument. That's the most humanizing way to approach this. I don't yes. care what you're what you're what you're interested in. Yeah, I, I was listening to something in NPR a while ago, and it was this this woman who identified as 
it's a woman who identified as a man, became a lesbian and all this stuff. But she was recounting like when she was like seven or eight and she was sitting in this restaurant and this woman came in wearing like these dark combat boots and these pants and the, the butch haircut. And she was like, and I saw her and I was drawn to that. And she's like, and that's when I first began to understand, number one, that I was a lesbian, and number two, that I was transgender. I'm like, no, you could just be a woman who likes combat boots. That's, You know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. that's such a, a self-destructive. It's so much deeper than that. If that's all it means to be a man or a woman is just these exterior things, then we're... we're I don't, I don't, and and that's not to diminish or or belittle the people who really do struggle with yeah, these things. Yeah, because there, it's because not all exterior. I know that. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's so difficult to have a conversation about that, with actually right. having our having the rootedness of gender be in a body. Yes, and that's yeah. really what yeah. we're trying to actually get at is like yeah. you you can be a woman in many many different ways yeah. and a man in, in many many different ways, but. There is, but then we actually have to go into Ephesians and look at this. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really curious to know how it fits with what you're actually trying to talk about. Well, here's what I think. So this is the whole, by the way, the, the husbands, uh, the wives be subordinate to your husbands as Christ yeah. as as wait, wives be subordinate to your husbands. And then it goes on to say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. So you know, there's, there, there's a real balance. There's a real balance. But if you read this in light, so I think most of you or many of you know this passage and the difficulties that it might arise. But if you read this in conjunction with the first reading, I think you get something different. When you read it in light of that, when you get this instruction, wives be subordinate to your husbands. Right. What is what is one of the themes of the Old Testament? It's God as a spouse, as a husband, trying to woo Israel, his bride, back to himself. And he wants to say, listen to me, listen to my voice, not because I'm this domineering God or this domineering bridegroom that wants to woo you, but because I'm a bridegroom that wants to lay down my life for you. Right. Why should they choose that day who they're going to serve, who they're going to follow? Because the God that they're actually being drawn to and being called by is a God that wants to bleed and die for them at all costs. Um, it, it's It's not you know, one-to-one -one of what the second reading is talking about. But I think it gives echoes. Because I was wondering, why does the church choose that reading to go with these? Hmm. And I wonder if there's just some echoes. I mean, who is the bridegroom? Who is the spouse that's trying to pursue us? It's the spouse who wants to lay down his life and die for us. So when Israel is hearing in the first reading, choose this day who you're going to serve, they're hearing, choose this day who is going to be domineering over you or who is going to which you know, is be not in right. charge of you or et cetera, et cetera, which is not right. And that's not what God's asking. And and any this is the thing is that we're we're men and we yep. live in a in a women women filled world. And and I will tell you that um none of us are around a bunch of shrinking violets. It's not like oh. it's not like the the women that are that are uh, on staff um, uh, your wife, like the women that I know are like, like they're tough, man. Th they're beautiful and tough. Yeah. Like, like they're, they're Which is how it's supposed to they're, be. They're real deal. They're not That's how it's supposed to be. It's like Judith and jail. It shoved stakes through enemy leaders heads. I mean, well, because the women in the old Testament, man, because the foundation of the strength Ooh. of the women in my life is Christ. Yes. And I will tell you that that is a real strength that has power and grace and beauty and but is yeah, specifically yeah. womanly. It's not it's not it's not the men that I know. I mean, they have power too, but it's in a it's a it yes. just is in a different particular capacity. Now, what's cool is that as you look at Ephesians, um, 
yeah, what it's trying to do in a certain sense is say that as we live an ordered reality towards God, uh-huh. that is going to manifest in how we live our lives. Like, like, like the theological reality that surrounds us does affect what, how we see things. And that yes. the, the poetry of reality is something that is real. Husbands and wives actually have a relationship that, that is revelatory of the divine relationship with humankind. And scripture wants to tell us all sorts of things. But in this particular occasion, I think part of what scripture wants us to see and what Paul wants the Ephesians to hear is that on some level, I think what Paul is saying, this isn't the totality of it, but I think I think women who are discerning their vocations should read this and think, oh yeah, I should be looking for a husband who will love me as Christ loved his church and gave himself up for her. Right. It should be an instruction. It's not... Here's how I need to be subordinate and subjective to my husband. It should be an instruction manual to say, oh, yeah, I should find someone who I can be with and be subject mutually to, because Ephesians says that, right. subject to one another out of love. I should find someone who's going to, whose love, I should find someone who is willing to lay down his life for me in a way that I can submit myself to letting him lay down his life for me. Right. A woman should find a man who will lay down his life and let her him do it right. in all this the little way, not necessarily shedding blood, but in all the little ways that we're supposed to do that. I think that's the the deeper meaning here. It's not about subjection or well, domineering. It's about look, you should be with somebody. Women, are, you these women in our lives, they're deserving of a man who's going to sacrifice himself for them. But it, we don't read it that way. It goes back to. Um, Adam and Eve. Yes, it does. What, what happens with Adam? Adam was supposed to shamar. He's a he was, punk, man. He was supposed to guard. So yeah. they're they're wandering around naked. They his naked wife is now talking to a serpent. And what's always she, a bad sign? Which is a bad sign. If that ever she, happens at a bar? Watch out. <laughs> if your naked wife is talking to a serpent, <laughs> it's not good. Nothing I don't know how you got there, but you want <laughs> nothing good's gonna come. You want to correct that. You want to get out of there. And so, uh, and so she loves Adam. I mean, like Eve just loved Adam. I mean, she just, she, I mean, it was perfect love at that time. And except for something happened and she knew that Adam may have to lose his life. So she, so she was like, you know what? I don't want him to have to lose his life because I love him. So now she starts bartering with Satan. Because there is a theory that maybe... The serpent was was not just saying, hey, eat this apple, but saying, I'm going to kill you if you don't. Right, exactly. That, that there was some tone in there that the body language, 60% of the conversation was saying that you, you brother, are about to die. Well, and part of the body language is the fact that the term here doesn't mean necessarily a little gardener snake. It means in elsewhere in the Bible, the same term can mean a seven-headed, fire-breathing dragon. Right. Which might be what we're dealing with. And so, so what does Eve do? She doesn't go back to Adam and Adam doesn't fight to be there. Well, Adam is to do there. that. I mean, no, no, I mean to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't fight to, um, Got Shamar. Got he, he lets her do that. And so what happens is that that is a very, very normal process for, yeah. for man is to actually to sit back, to yeah. be a wuss and to, to like, and to, to let other people fight their battles. Absolutely. And so, and when we let our women fight our battles for us, what happens is that we kind of lose, the, as a man, you lose something. Yep. And so, so the encouragement is to say, no, brother, you know what you got to do. Why don't yeah. you f- stand up? Yes. And, and when, when you have a wonderful woman by your side mm. who says, hey, you can stand up. 
and rather than just bartering for you, but to say, no, you know what? You're a man and you're going to go for this. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm scared inside, but I think I'm going to do this. You know, the book of Hebrews seems to suggest that had Adam actually done what he was supposed to do, yeah. there was a possibility that God could have raised him up from the dead, which is fascinating because again, throughout the whole old new Testament, Christ is called the new Adam. Right. Well, how does he do what Adam didn't do? Well, what does he do? Well, he lays down his life for his bride. Yes, he which dies. Is precisely what Adam did not do, which is what he's making up for. Not just eating fruit. It's the idea that he didn't protect. He didn't stand up. He didn't lay down his life, which is why he's the new version. And that's and that's why it's like that's why it's this reality that we see a corrective in Ephesians, right. which is what Joshua is trying to get at as well. What Joshua is trying to get at fundamentally is how far are you willing to follow this God mm. who's risky and daring and dangerous and looks like he's heading straight into the mouth of the, the serpent. Right. Are you willing to follow that one? Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what Israel is being questioned with. Like, Perfect. look, look at what he did taking him out of Egypt. Just start walking toward that big ocean there. We'll figure it out. (laughs) What? (laughs) Go ahead toward that big pillar of fire. It'll work out fine. (laughs) You know, like, just start moving. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Are you willing to follow a God who's dangerous? It's dangerous. So dangerous. I'm going to do it again. You're not singing the Michael Jackson song that's in my head. It's dangerous. No, uh, David Guilletta is. uh, But this is is a perfect lead into the gospel. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm so John six sixty through sixty nine. This is like the moment of decision that we have from the first reading about. Yes, this is perfect. About the uh, about who are you going to serve today? Because yeah. the Lord, He's talking about risky, pushing into a place that is like, are right, okay. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't get this. You are talking in a mysterious, mystical way that is way too concrete and visceral for me, and I'm not. I'm not grabbing this. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, decide today. Are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? What are mm-hmm. you going to do? Yeah, but but here's what's cool about it. So it begins by saying many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard. Who can accept it? So remember, what to, <laughs> not to condescend, but what, it, what he just said is that you have to eat my, gnaw, gnaw on my flesh and drink my, my blood if you want to have life in you. And they're like, that's really hard. I don't know what you're talking. That's weird. And Jesus knew his disciples were murmuring. He says, does this shock you? What if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I mean, what if you this, had a mystical vision? Would this actually help you understand the reality that's taking place? But what's beautiful? So here's here's where my mind is going with this, and and tell me what you think about this. I'm again, I'm putting this back in the context of the first reading, okay? Where you have a bunch of people that, quite frankly, are faced with something hard. That this <sighs> God is asking them to do this stuff. They're not doing it very well. They're supposed to be following. They're, you know, all these things. And when Joshua says, hey, are you going to do it or not? Their answer is, yes, everything's great. Everything's super. You know, we're fine. Totally on board. 100%. Joshua, which is Yeshua, which is the same name as Jesus. (laughs) We're uh, we're great. Everything's super. You got to respect on some level, even the disciples who reject Jesus, at least have the honesty and the guts to be like, nope, this doesn't work for us. I'm not getting this. I mean, you get the two-facedness of the first reading where they're like, no, everything's super. But then you get the the proper response comes at the end. So you have these two options. Either just kind of lie and be like, everything's great. Everything's fine. We love it all. Yay, God. 
Or the response of these disciples, like, no, can't do it. We're out. This is this is no good. But then you get the much better response of the disciples themselves when Jesus turns and they're like, all right, what about you guys? Are you out of here as well? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we don't get it, but we don't know where else to go. Right. <laughs> we got nowhere else to go, which is, I think, the only honest response of a disciple mm. who's following a God who's dangerous and terrifying is to be like, I don't understand exactly what you're doing. I don't know what we're doing in this promised land. I don't know why we have to fight all these different armies, but we're going to do our best because we don't know where else to go. Right. That's what Israel should have said. Right. Help us out here, God, because we don't know. Not everything's great. We're good. We're on board. Or not selling out, but simply having the honesty to be like, I don't get it, but I, I don't know where else to go, Lord, because you have the words of eternal life. We've seen the story of salvation history. We get what Joshua just said. Yes. We know the road you've led us down. We trust in that, but I don't understand where you're leading us. So you're going to have to help me out. Mm. which is essentially what I hear the disciples saying, Mm -hmm. which is the appropriate and proper response. Because again, we have a God who is asking the apostles to submit themselves to their bridegroom, who is going to lay down his life for them. Are they willing to submit, to follow, to be a part of that? And they say, I don't know, I'm going to try. Right. Which is a great, humble, honest response. It's the best. It's really good. I'm going to do my best. I don't get you. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have con- we are we have come to believe and are convinced. Yes, like this is the thing is that, is that, that you are the holy one of God. That you are not the that holy anything one. else you said makes any sense. Yeah, but we know that you're the holy one of God. So when you say things that don't make sense, we're gonna go for it. We're still gonna we're gonna still actually trust. Yeah. And that's actually like, man, talk about a spiritual principle for how you must live your spiritual life. Yeah. I don't get this. Yeah. I really don't know why, Lord, you have me going at this moment in this way, in this direction. And would you please help me? Because I don't know. And that's one of the things that actually brought me back to the church. And I, I think I think I've heard multiple people say things like this. But yeah. Monsignor Swetland, who's a good friend of ours, um, yep. he had this, you know, he had this he has this kind of teaching that, you know, you can somebody can agree with the teachings of the Catholic Church on every single issue. Okay. Everything the church teaches, you can you can come to the same conclusion and agree with that, and that does not make you Catholic. Mm. Being Catholic does not mean I agree with the church on everything. Okay. Being a Catholic means I believe not just what the church believes, it means I believe that the church is a truth teaching entity. Yes. It doesn't just mean I believe the things the church teaches are true. Yes. It believes I believe what the church does is teach truth. Even yes. if I don't get those truths, I believe and I trust that what the church is saying is true because that's what she does. So I don't have to work out every single thing or I can struggle with things and wrestle right. with things. Perfect. But I trust the church. It's what the, the disciples are saying to Jesus. Yes. We don't get this, but we get you and uh, we're going to follow you. Perfect. Which I, that is one of the things that made me make the jump back to the church and be like, oh, I don't have to work this all out on my own because I actually have a God who's bigger than that. Yeah. And that's that's a question that I mean, I, I remember having a really I went to New Life Church with uh, now Father Greg Peterson, mm. but he was he was going there and he loved it. And I, I went and I was like, great preaching this whole thing. And and like and so he was like doing that. And I just we left and I said, man, that was awesome. Where's the authority? <laughs> Where's yeah. the authority? Yeah. Who gave who gave this man authority? Nobody. And, and and I was like I was like an ordinate an or, ordaining body. Well, who gave them authority? Yeah. Let's just do the engineering five whys. Let's go like like why? 
Why, why does he have authority? Why do they have authority? Why did like, oh, because, and then what comes back to it is you have this particular moment of Simon Peter being foundational in the church, having received authority from the Lord. Yep. And it flows out and it's continued and it is real and it, that lineage is unbroken. Absolutely. May the circle be unbroken. I don't remember, I can never remember the tune of that song. So I, just I don't know, know what you're saying. saying that either. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> I think we should call it a day. Pray for uh, pray for all of the people who are going to come to our mass on Fair and Field. Absolutely. Come to it yourself. Pray for Father Peter. Brave for me to have celebrates. like some some Joshua words, some mm. some words that will like inspire the fire. Because <laughs> uh, like I, it, it always makes me nervous and very exciting. Like I have to say, like preaching at the outdoor mass is like a very very potent experience. Um, it's just it's very holy. And what we're doing every day this week is is we just have, every night um, after our five ten p.m. daily mass, we've been walking the campus. And praying and just asking the Lord to uh, break the heart, the walls down around the hearts of those who come. Because I walk around on campus and every single one of those kids are mine. Are mine. It's all your those parish. teachers, I, they they are all mine. It's your parish. And so I just try to love on all of them. Indeed. So God. love on us, you guys. Pray for us. Send us a. Send us something. Yeah, yeah, send like us a candy bar in the mail. <laughs> I will eat it. Father uh, Scott I like Powell. Coffee, chocolate, caramel. Coffee, chocolate, yeah, candy bars, myself. He's he's pretty serious about that. You guys All right, guy. No, come on. What were you gonna say? You guys are the best. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye.